I am so excited to bring to you the very first episode of the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael Cravens, and I'm going to be your host. Now, I'm not going to go directly into who we are, because coming up from our president, Brad Powell, and our executive director, Scott Garland, you're going to learn all about who we are. You're going to learn about the important work we do for Arizona's wildlife and habitat, and you're gonna learn about our very rich history. You might also find out about why I am so proud to work for this organization. But in the meantime, I will tell you about what you can expect from this podcast. We aim to come at you every two weeks with news, information, expert guests on all things outdoors Arizona. So that's sporting opportunities, hunting and angling, that's camping, hiking, bird watching, gardening, you name it. You know, we are so lucky to come from such a rich and diverse state. We have countless opportunities for outdoor recreation, ranging from mountains to desert, and we have ample public lands and access to enjoy them on. We're also gonna bring you information from our affiliate groups. These are those nonprofit organizations doing real work to improve habitat on the ground for trout, for elk, for quail. The list goes on and on. We'll also keep you informed on both state and federal legislation. That's both good bills and bad bills. We'll let you know when it's appropriate to contact your senators, your congressmen, and let them know your thoughts on these important issues. So with all that, I hope you enjoy this conversation between Brad Scott and I, and I hope you get inspired. Look us up at azwildlife.org, and by all means, tune back in in two weeks. Thanks for listening. gentlemen we are here with brad powell president of arizona wildlife federation and my boss scott garland the executive director of the arizona wildlife federation this is our premier episode of the arizona wildlife federation podcast welcome fellas great hey great to be here and glad you finally could make the schedules work yeah yeah that wasn't easy um so what we're going to do here today is we are going to introduce the Arizona Wildlife Federation to some of you folks that don't know us at all. And, and some of you that do know us might not know some of the history behind our organization and, you know, some of the work that we do. So let, let's start by introducing these two fellows I'm sitting with. So let's start with you, Scott. Scott is our executive director. Scott, how did you get here? Well, I guess first, Michael, you should have said what you said before, which is you're going to start with me because Brad's story is really exciting and mine is not so <laughs> well, exciting. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I spent a career at Intel Corporation in high tech ever since college. So did a bunch of engineering and manufacturing and some supply chain work. And uh, I always kind of wanted to do something in conservation and lived, I'll say, vicariously through the glossy brochures from groups like Trout Unlimited and the Nature Conservancy and other groups that I would happen to donate to. And then Intel had a great program for retirees um, where they would basically pay the nonprofit that you chose to go work for for a year. So I thought that's a good opportunity for me. If I really want to do something in conservation, I should try to do it now. And while I still can, I'm still young enough to do it. So I took advantage of that, worked for Trout Unlimited for a year, and that's where I 
was introduced to Brad and others and a bunch of other great conservation groups in, or in Arizona. And ultimately, that's how I found my way to Arizona Wildlife Federation. Awesome. And I, I just heard, just heard, and I didn't even know this about you, that you spent time in Costa Rica uh, setting up shops. I don't yeah, even know what to call that. Yeah. Uh, we started a couple of manufacturing facilities in Costa Rica. So we moved the family down there in, oh, the late 90s mm -hmm. and lived there for three years, a little over three years. My youngest two kids were born there. And, you know, Costa Rica is great, too. There's a lot of great conservation work in Costa Rica. Um, there's a lot of good wildlife and outdoor recreation opportunities in Costa Rica. Um, but Arizona is pretty special, too. Yeah. You know, something just... Uh a slight rabbit hole here. Um, I noticed about Costa Rica. Costa Rica definitely values their their wildlife and, and wild space, you know, with their park system. And you can go down pretty much any given road in any given town and you're going to see monkeys and, and magnificent birds. And um, it is not the same when you go to South America and, and specifically uh, Peru is the only place that I'd visited. But um, it's been a great deal of time and, and remote rivers. But those people down there, they they live off that wildlife. They they need it. So when you go down, it's not like Costa Rica. Um, it's it's quiet. Um, you got to get back in the jungle a mile or so before you start getting that same experience that you get in Costa Rica. I, I got to tell you a little story about hiring Scott when he first came to work in the conservation field. Oh, brother, the dirt's going to start to fly already uh, now. <laughs> Jim Walker with Trout Unlimited and I interviewed Scott for a position, and we both remarked after that interview. Do you think he was interviewing us or we were interviewing him? Because I think he asked us more questions than we asked him, and, and we couldn't have been happier in, in hiring <laughs> Scott. But uh, he brought lots He brought lots to Trout Unlimited and is even doing more with the Arizona Wildlife Federation. Well, that's very generous, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Undeservedly right. so, but thanks. All right, Brad. So well, my history is uh, maybe a little bit longer. That may, that may be a, a part of why I've got less hair or whiter hair than certainly <laughs> the rest of you guys do. But I grew up in Missouri, grew up uh, chasing rabbits and squirrels and fish and particularly bass in those days and, and decided at an early age I wanted to be a wildlife biologist. And when I was in high school, I went in and talked to the counselor and he said, well, to be a wildlife biologist, you need to get a forestry degree. So that was the first bad advice that I got relative to a career that ended out ended up working out pretty darn good. Uh, I graduated with a forestry degree, went to work for the Forest Service, and started in a little town called Young, Arizona, which is about, oh, those of you that know Young, it's about 60 miles or so from Payson, all dirt road getting in there. So, so uh, farm boy from the Midwest, going to uh, work on the Tano National Forest back in 1969, which was the beginning of my time in Arizona. Uh, ended up graduating, working for the Forest Service all over the country, uh, was a district ranger in a couple of different places, was National Monument Manager at Mount St. Helens after the eruption, I was Forest Supervisor of the Daniel Boone in Kentucky, was Forest Supervisor of the Tongass in Alaska, was regional forester, which is fancy word for in charge of kind of a regional manager for the uh, national forest in California, and then as well as in regional forester in Montana and Idaho. So really, I had a, a great career with the Forest Service. When I retired from that, I went to work with Trout Unlimited, and 
kind of work their Southwest region along with Western policy work for another 15 years or so. I started with the Arizona Wildlife Federation about 15 years ago. And my interest was, was uh, at that time I was working for Trout Unlimited and I was really trying to align the work that Trout Unlimited was doing with the Arizona Wildlife Federation. And I think in hindsight, I may have ended up aligning Trout Unlimited's work more with the Arizona Wildlife Federation. I've been president for, I think, five years. I was vice president for five years or so before that. Uh, and I've just been tickled to watch our organization continue to grow and continue to engage in some of the key conservation issues in the state. That's, that's an impressive resume. Uh, I was telling Scott just the other day, you know, I'm kind of a one-trick pony. I've All I've ever really done or, and cared about is, is wildlife and the outdoors. And when I was a little boy, uh, I even had like a, a, a Tonka Bronco that had a forest ranger action figure that went in it. And that, that was a forest ranger is, is to my, my, you know, childish mind, encompassed all outdoor careers. Um, and I was telling Scott that it's like your, your career – is is what I envisioned at, at that. But, yeah, pretty impressive. It's funny you should mention that. I used to have a Tonka Jeep. In fact, I think we still have it. It's <laughs> tucked away in a box somewhere, these big tires on it. And on the hood of that, I put a Ranger Rick sticker because I had subscribed <laughs> to Ranger Rick. So so you were so, you had a good premonition about yeah, Ranger Rick yeah, and perhaps, AWF? Perhaps. But my, my start was Minnesota, not not Missouri like you guys. Midwest, but upper Midwest. State starting with an M. There's where the commonality. Well, it's one is. of the best traits that Michael has for he's from. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. We should talk about those creeks and rivers sometime. I bet we've been on some of the same ones. All right, let's uh, for for those folks who who are not familiar with the Arizona Wildlife Federation, let, let's talk about who we are. Scott, you want to kind of give an overview of of who the Arizona Wildlife Federation is. Uh, don't have to go into any great detail of what we do yet. We'll talk about that more later on. And then maybe, Brad, you tell us how, how you know, we got here. Yeah, so maybe first I'll start when I when we talk about who we are. Brad's story is unique for sure, and, and he's a very special contributor to conservation in Arizona. But we are fortunate with the Arizona Wildlife Federation to have a bunch of board members who have really good stories. And I think we tallied up at one point. We have like 155 years of agency experience on our board. So we're talking people who are career Arizona Game and Fish Department, who spent time in the Forest Service like Brad did, who spent time with Fish and Wildlife Service. And then, of course, many of them continue their careers and they're you know, doing a lot of work with conservation nonprofits. So I think one thing that makes us unique is that uh, we've got that really deep, deep expertise on our board. As far as who we are, you know, I kind of describe us as we're the passionate middle, or I guess some of our board members describe us as, as the passionate middle. I can't maybe claim, claim that for myself, but we've got about 60% of our members are what we would call consumptive, so hunters and anglers, and about 40% of our members are people who enjoy wildlife watching, hiking, camping, getting outdoors. And so, you know, we're constantly trying to bring those groups together and make sure that people understand how much we have in common in that we care for the public lands, we care about getting outdoors, we care about outdoor recreation opportunities, and of course we care about wildlife and habitat. Um, I guess I'll mention, you know, we've got a long mission statement, but the way I summarize 
characterize it is I just say we try to bring people together to conserve Arizona's wildlife and wildlife habitat. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Brad, you want to catch us up to today? Tell us how we got here. I mean, Arizona Wildlife Federation, we're approaching 100 years old in 2023. Is that correct? Yeah, we started in 1923 as the Arizona Game Protective Association. And uh, even before that, there were numerous game protective associations in small communities. There was one in Flagstaff, there was one in Payson, there was one in Springerville. And those are really where the idea for professional game management in Arizona began in those game protective associations. Um, in 1923 is, is when we actually formed as an organization, and we were formed at a meeting that was held in Flagstaff with these individual game protective associations meeting with Aldo Leopold. And I'm sure most everybody on the, uh, that listens to this is very familiar with Aldo Leopold, but to me that's just uh, kind of an amazing link to one of the conservation giants and. Um, Aldo Leopold is certainly a, a father of many of the conservation movements in this country. What's interesting to me is when I look at what AWF stands for today and what the three guiding principles of AWF were, or Arizona Game Protective Association, all the way back in 1923, there were three guiding principles that, that drove that organization. First was to secure proper scientific management of game and fish. We still have that as a core element of who we are today. The second was to create a commission and a department to take politics out of the management of fish and wildlife. And the third was to educate the public. And here we are 98 years later, and I could read those three statements, and I think it'd be very similar to what Scott just said, we are about as an organization today. Now, a lot of things have changed, but our core mission has stayed pretty much on track through that whole period of time. I want to I delve just a little bit deeper, though, into that history, because it sounds relatively easy that these groups got together and decided that they wanted to have proper game management. If you look prior to 1923 in this state, we had a free-for-all. Um, we had a few... A uh, few laws that were legislated, but the state legislature basically ran the uh, game and fish management, and we had very little enforcement. We had very little scientific backing to that management, and it was highly politicized. So when the Arizona Game Protective Association decided to change that, there was a tremendous pushback, both at the legislature and in particular at the governor's office. The governor at that time was Arizona's first governor, uh, Governor W.P. Hunt. And if you look up Governor Hunt, you're going to find out he was an extremely able politician and extremely powerful in the state. And he used game and fish management as kind of a political plum. He would, he would allow and help and push permits and hunting to, to certain people for certain favors. So he hated the idea of having a commission and fought back against it relentlessly. In 1923, um, shortly after the formation of the Arizona Game and, F Game and Protective Association, there was, a, there was an effort to go to the voters and to actually put a commission system in place. 
Uh, even before that, they went to the state legislature and asked the legislature to put a commission. The, com the legislature just kicked it out. It didn't pass when it was put on a, on a ballot initiative. So all the early efforts uh, failed in terms of trying to get it through. And you might think, well, it happened fairly soon. It actually took six years before they finally got enough initiative. Through that whole period of time, they were still working with the legislature, trying to get something done or trying to get another a voter initiative. And they finally succeeded in 1928. Uh, I'm kind of proud because September 29th, 1928, my birthday is September 29th, is when they had their sixth annual meeting, and that's when they put together the, the, the final voter referendum that passed. And that, that referendum passed in November of 1928. That's when a commission system was established in the state of Arizona. Now, what makes it interesting, what they really did at that point in time was they canceled, all, that referendum canceled all of the state game and fish laws in the state. It took the governor, still Hunt, 30 days to sign it. So in December, when he signed that legislation, we had no laws in Arizona on game and fish. So if you wanted to go hunt or fish, it was a completely lawless period of time. Now, the, the Arizona Game Protective Association realized that was going to happen. They wrote new legislation, and it was the first bill introduced when the, when the legislature went into session on the first week in January, and they passed the new commission system. By then, that year, we had a new governor. The new governor was a friend of the Arizona Game Protective Association, and they actually established three commissioners and put them in place. Now, you may think, all is well. We've got a commission system. They've, they've shortly thereafter formed a department. We didn't even have an actual department up into that period of time. If you go a few years later, um, forget exactly which year. I think it was hey, like when 19... we go back to yours, can I interrupt? Sure. I just want to make sure you said that you were proud that it was done on your birthday and it was 1928. You're not 94 <laughs> years old, are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty well preserved <laughs> for that. So it's the date, not the year, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the date, not the year. But thanks. I was just doing the quick math and I thought, wow. Thanks he's for really clarifying looking that. Looking pretty yeah. good for that. <laughs> <laughs> well, what happened though is. Uh, W.P. Hunt was reelected as governor. So when he came back in to serve as a governor, the first thing he tried to do, uh, he went to the legislature to abolish the commission and the department. Uh, so they were back fighting their old nemesis, uh, the governor Hunt. It was pretty clear fairly soon that they were going to be able to defeat the governor's push. They were working with the legislature. So Governor Hunt declared that there was fiscal mismanagement of the commissioners. So there was a multiple month study and a long report written looking into every dollar and auditors were hired. Uh, eventually they came out clean and the governor dropped it and the commission, the commission system survived that, that, latest, that latest effort. Probably the only other thing I'd mention is that uh, we continued as the Arizona Game Protective Association until 1968. And in 1968, at an annual meeting, uh, we became the Arizona Wildlife Federation. Now, again, you might think, 
that that was a fairly simple transition, but it was a hotly contested discussion around the word game. And those of you that have followed our change of the, the title on Trophy Book are probably familiar with kind of how words matter to people anymore, where we went to record book because of the concern about trophies. At that time, there was concern that game was too limiting for what the organization did. But there were some people that argued vehemently that we should continue to keep game in our title. But eventually they lost out. And one of the main advocates for that was Ben Avery. And those of you that know the shooting range and know a little bit about the history of Arizona, Ben Avery was a, was a key conservationist in that. One name I didn't mention, Tom McCullough, probably one of the leading conservationists in Arizona of the 20s, was the first president of the, of the Arizona Game Protective Association and guided the organization for a while. So a long history. Um, lots of work on key issues, and I, I won't go through them all right now, but for almost 100 years, we've led conservation efforts. Uh, we've led efforts to protect the, the, the uh, department and to support having a, a commission like we have today, and we continue today to, to really work hard on education and having a professional scientific-based management system in the state. So we've got a lot to be proud of. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I I, I I tell people all the time how, how proud I am to work for this organization, and it's uh, largely due to our, uh, as uh, what did you put it as there, Scott, uh, passionate center. Um, you know, our, our pragmatic approach, our, you know, it's been said that conservation is not partisan, and, and we take that very seriously. Um, we work very hard to be bipartisan in our work, and I think it's the right place to be. It's not always a comfortable place to be, but I think it's the right place to be. Um, so with that, one thing uh, to clarify here, Brad, you mentioned Trophy Book. That's one of the things we work on, and it's a big part of our history. You want to give us a little more details on what the Trophy Book is? Or maybe yeah, I should say and, the and Scott may want to join in. He's certainly been involved with it in the last few years. But Trophy Book something, I don't even know when we began it but a long, long time ago. We should probably start by saying the name's changed. It's now yeah. Records of Arizona Big Game, mm -hmm. primarily because we're that middle and because, you know, trophy has some bad connotations. And sure. Arizona Game and Fish Department has figured that out. They've changed some of their wording to take that word out of there. We're not advocating hunting just for the sake of trophies. We're advocating for the heritage of the sportsmen and the heritage of hunting. And that's where the Records of Arizona Big Game book comes from. And, and I think that new title encapsulates very well what it really is. It's, uh, we've, got a, we've got a group of people that, that uh, look through, pour through every year all the new harvest of game, uh, those that are submitted that are record book quality, and then we publish every year an update of that book showing what the latest uh, really uh, big, big game animals are that were harvested. And uh, we've got some people that have been dedicated to it for years and years that are, that are quality measures. And it's a very popular and a very, I think, kind of very historic and foundational piece of, of what we do. Yeah, I'll add, um, I believe it's the longest running state-specific uh, record book. 
Um, and I'll also add, it's not just, uh, you know, books like this are not a collection of trophies. Uh, there's that word again. Um, but it is a, it is an excellent data set that you can track uh, trends in wildlife over time. I mean, if you see, you know, numbers, you know, of coos whitetail antler measurements decreasing over a period of time, you can you can hypothesize there's something wrong with that habitat. So it's not just a collection of trophies. It's it's also an important data set that can, can be used for the benefit and of And we should probably also say it, it's available now. So if people want to go to the website and order one, they can order one. This new book's going to be fantastic. There's going to be color photos in there. We've got some great articles in there, which also tell a little bit of the history of, of the book and of hunting in Arizona. And so it's really a spectacular edition, this the and one of the fun things we do every year present certificates to to all the new awardees, and it's it's great fun being the one that assigned many of those, but seeing those people receive those and bring their whole families and the pride they have in that harvest that they had. Wow. Well, uh, let's let's move on to some of uh, some of the work that we do now. Uh, Scott, you wanna you wanna jump in there and, and talk about some of the work we do. Sure. Thanks, Michael. Yeah, we, I kind of bucket our work into three categories usually, uh, education, on-the-ground conservation work, and advocacy. And so if you think of those three bucket, buckets, um, first in education, you know, the most popular program we've got or the biggest program that we've got is what we call Becoming an Outdoors Woman. And I usually describe that as if you can, if you went to a summer camp when you were younger and it was a scout camp or a YMCA camp or whatever it was, and you can think of the best camp possible with all kinds of offerings, everything from kayaking to archery and rappelling to uh, wild game cooking. And, and I think there's 150 or so different offerings through the Becoming an Outdoors Woman program. It's that kind of a camp. It's over a weekend, but it's geared at adult women and they serve wine. So that's what Bo is, Becoming an Outdoor Woman. Um, for kids, we've got two programs. One is Early Childhood Outdoors, and that's geared at younger children, and we're trying to design and create play spaces that are more natural so kids can play with pine cones, climb on rocks, climb over logs rather than go to a swing set in a jungle gym. And, you know, that's pretty important when you think about the amount of time that kids are not getting outdoors and that many of them didn't grow up, you know, like you guys grew up, out chasing things and doing doing your own thing in the woods. Uh, and then to our, for the kids that are a little bit older, we also have a program called Eco Schools, and that's geared more typically towards middle age. It can go all the way through elementary school and high school, but typically it's more uh, middle school kids, not middle age kids, middle school kids. Um, and that's to teach them sustainable habit habits. So they do a project around their school or a number of projects, and it can be, you know, how do we conserve water here on the school campus? How can we do a composting project with the school, a recycling project with the school? Could be any number of things. And it's pretty structured, and that's another great program. So that's our education bucket. Yeah, actually, if I could add to that, uh, our Becoming an Outdoors Woman program has been so successful that it tends to fill up entirely too fast. So we, we've branched out and and created the... Help me out here, Scott. Um, Bridges, Bridges to Bow is probably what you're. Yes, I am. To, yeah. um, which is targeting, you know, younger demographic, um, uh, minority, um, basically offering opportunities to younger girls that would not have have those opportunities otherwise. Yeah, it's a specific focus. I mean, 
we all look at demographics, whether it's for the Arizona Wildlife Federation, whether it's for bow or whether it's for other things. And, you know, equity and inclusion is a important thing in terms of getting people outdoors and getting people comfortable with the outdoors as well. So we specifically are targeting with the Bridges to Bow program a younger demographic and a more diverse demographic. And if you look at that bow program, you know, it's a great program. There's some diversity already in the membership there or the attendees, I guess I should say there, but we're working really hard to increase that. And uh, and so far it's been really, really successful and we've gotten great response with it. I, I think you're gonna have to add award-winning program yes, when you say right. bow. We did, we did receive a, an award last year for I forget what the name of the award was, but it was from the Arizona Game and Fish Commission. Then uh, the the second bucket then is our on the ground conservation projects, and we now have over two hundred people who have volunteered that said that they're willing to do conservation work. Um, we call them the volunteers for wildlife. A lot of that work is coordinated not just by us, but with one of the agencies, it could be National Forest, it could be National Monument, it could be Arizona Game and Fish Department, could be one of our affiliate organizations, um, but we're helping get people out there and get them connected to the work that's important in Arizona to do conservation. So that could be water catchments for wildlife or that benefit wildlife, it could be fence removal, um, it could be trails work, it could be monarch plant plantings, um, so that's pretty exciting, and it's relatively new to us, so we're hoping to grow that particular program. And then thirdly is our advocacy work, and I think at least in recent years, Brad can chime in on this, but I think that's what we've been probably most known for. We watch what's going on at both the federal level and the state level, and you know, we, advocate, we educate our members on what's happening, and we allow them to weigh in should they choose to weigh in, and then we also weigh in. So whether it's you know funding for different programs that are beneficial to wildlife and conservation, or whether it's kind of fighting back against bad legislation, we're there working on those things. Uh, right now, as an example, Recovering America's Wildlife Act is, I think, just a fantastic uh, bill that's going through Congress, and that would give $31 million to the state of Arizona to help manage species of greatest concern. So. Many of the listeners probably have heard about the species decline. Um, this would be something that would give Arizona Game and Fish Department a, a nice boost to their budget to manage species that uh, are otherwise you know, in trouble, I'm gonna say, maybe not so much in trouble, but the idea is keep them off the threatened and endangered species list because we all know how difficult it is to manage something once it's on the list, once it's listed. So the idea is keep it keep it off the list, let it be managed by the experts in the state. In our case, we've got a lot of great biologists and experts with Arizona Game and Fish Department. So, you know, that's something we're advocating for. We hope that'll go through. Um, we've been active for many, many years, Brad can tell you, on getting permanent protection around the Grand Canyon from uranium mining. And we're, we're not anti-mining, we're not anti-grazing, we're generally supportive of multi-use of all kinds. But, you know, there's some places and some cases where it just doesn't fit. And uranium mining around the Grand Canyon is one of those examples. Um, so that's the kind of advocacy work we do. We do a lot at the state legislature. It seems like we're always fighting back some kind of anti-federal lands bill. You know, we've got a lot of great examples of good opportunities that provided access to hikers, campers, hunters, um, 
onto federal lands. The public lands are all of ours, as as we all know, and and so we're constantly watching those things. And so advocacy is that third bucket. Mm-hmm. Scott, just to expand a little bit on what you said, I think it takes all three of those activities to really be effective. And I also think I'm a little biased, but I don't think there are many or the many other organizations in the state that are focused on all three of those activities relative to wildlife. If you think about it, education is just super important for the future. We're not, if we don't educate people about the outdoors and the opportunities, um, we won't have that many advocates in the future. The conservation work that we're doing, there's probably nothing more fun to actually engage in getting something done on the ground. And there are many organizations in the wildlife arena that that's all they want to do. And that's great. But it's great that we're able to get in and help and even help fund some of those. And then finally, advocacy. That's probably the thing that, particularly in the wildlife arena, a lot of groups don't really get into it. But if you look at the legislation that comes up federally and in our state, if you don't choose to to get in there and fight hard for good stuff and to try to kill bad stuff, you guarantee um, that we're not going to have a future that, that includes hunting and fishing and outdoor recreation. And some of our elected legislators, and I won't name names today, but they're not on our side. Mm-hmm. And some of the some of the pieces of legislation that you see come up, it just makes your eyes cloud over because it is it is so biased against good public land management or good conservation, and it's so biased towards profit or or uh, some other measure that really is not what we care about at all. So I think all three of those activities that you summed up very well really are what uh, sets us apart from other organizations and provides us a great opportunity. The The last thing I'd say is, and maybe we're going to get to it, is we need more people to help on all those fronts. You know, when you look at doing work on the ground, the 200 you've got, be nice someday to have 500 people out there that want to do work on the ground. And you look at education, uh, we all need to work with our kids and get people out in the field. And then finally, advocacy. The more members we have, the more active people we have that care about fish and wildlife in this state, the quicker and the better we are at being able to advocate for you. That's the first thing a legislator wants to know. How many people are behind you? If it's just you, they don't give you, you know, the time of the day. But if you're representing a thousand people, particularly in their district, they care a lot about you. So, uh, while we're doing great work, we need more people to jump in and help us. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, I'll I'll add, uh, you know, with our, our affiliate program, uh, one of the things that I take a, a great deal of pride in is, you know. Working and and monitoring and, and following the legislature is not it's not fun, um, but that's where decisions are made. It's important, uh, and and a lot of we have some fantastic affiliate groups, whether it be the Elk Society or Quail Forever, or Trout Unlimited. Um, you know, some of these groups they specifically focus on habitat work. You know, boots on the ground, getting things done, which is extremely important. So they don't have time to to, to watch the legislature. So. You know, I, I tell people that, you know, we, we have our finger on the pulse down there. Um, and that's one of the things I take a lot of pride in, that we can we can make them aware of, of bad public land bills or bad wildlife bills, our good bills that need to be lifted up as well. Michael, I'd just add to that, and 
I'll go back six, seven years ago when I was doing some legislative work. I would see in the conservation arena one person in there advocating for conservation, and that was from the Sierra Club, who we don't always align with, and um, not demeaning the work she was doing at all, but there was not one person in there representing sportsman groups or hunting and fishing or wildlife groups other than the Arizona Wildlife Federation at that time. And I wish I could say it's changed a lot, but I don't think it has. I mean, occasionally I think other people engage, but it's noticeable when you go in and talk to legislators how infrequently they hear from people that care about wildlife conservation. Yeah. Well, Scott, uh, one thing that uh, I think we ought to talk about a little bit, or at least mention, is our Get Outdoors Arizona Business Coalition. Yeah, good point, Michael. Thanks for reminding me. Yeah, we, we also we started this, this organization, I guess, uh, two years ago, and it's called Get Outdoors Arizona. And the idea was along the same lines of advocacy, primarily is what started it, is that there are a lot of businesses in Arizona that depend on outdoor recreation for you know, their customer base for the revenue streams and their businesses rely on that, but they are not a voice that's typically heard, you know, at the state capital or at the federal level, yet they are a voice that's very much listened to. So if you go, if Michael and I go or Brad goes and we're talking to a, a legislator about recovering America's wildlife and the benefits of funding uh, for Arizona, that carries some weight. Um, if you're a constituent that's in that person's district and if you're a business owner, it carries a lot more weight. So the idea was we're going to get together a bunch of businesses who have some interest in outdoor recreation and their businesses depend on outdoor recreation. It can't just be any business. Um, and we're going to also educate them on the same issues. We don't tell them what position they should take or what issues they should or shouldn't take a position on. We simply educate them and we keep them informed on you know, again, just different federal legislation is state legislation. And then we invite them to advocate on their own or we invite them to advocate with us. And we've got, I think, close to 80 different outdoor recreation businesses now signed up in Arizona. Wow. You know, over uh, history or lifespan of 100 years, you know, organizations, they, they ebb and flow, they lean left, they lean right. Um and, and I've been with the Arizona Wildlife Federation for just two years now. Um, but it's clear to me, it just in those two years, that we are in a really good position. Um, we're, we're moderate, we're balanced, we're science-based. And, and I can see us on, on a very exciting uh, upward trajectory. Uh, what, what do you guys see for the future of the Arizona Wildlife Federation? Scott, you go well, ahead. I think, Brad, you should start because I think you've had this vision from before you hired me. And so I think you're in the best position to talk about the vision. So well, you, you I'm, go for it. <laughs> I'm happy to share at least a part of that vision. The first thing I'd share is that while I'm very optimistic, and I outlined this for a recent board meeting, I think we've got some tough times ahead, not as an organization, but as a state when it comes to conservation issues. Uh, we're, we're growing extremely rapidly in Arizona. We're, we're depleting our water supplies across the West. We're in the middle of a drought. There's climate change issues. I could go on and on. There's fire, there's forest management issues. All of those are stressing uh, our public lands, are stressing our fish and wildlife in the state. To me, that's a call to action for our organization, but it's a call to action to those of you that are listening here as well. 
if you like hunting or fishing or camping or being out in or even viewing wildlife, you need to get involved. So my vision is that us as an organization are going to have to continue to grow and to continue to, to stay very active and to bring in more and more people as, as we try to continue to, to uh, keep fish and wildlife here for future generations and to help the state do that as, as well. Now, I don't want to um, paint a bleak picture because I think there are many things that are going on very well. Our organization is sound. Uh, we're continuing to grow. We've got a great staff in place and a good board. But I don't think we can, I don't think we can drop our guard at all uh, as a state because there are, too many, there are too many factors that I think are pushing on us. The last thing I'd say, though, um, we, we grew up as a hunting and fishing advocacy organization. And that's our foundation and it's our roots. It's always going to be there. But when you look at our state and the urbanization of our state, we need to continue to open our arms to people that care about wildlife. And we do that. And we do that through some of the programs and some of our education programs. But if you step back and look at it, um, we need to figure out ways to engage our Hispanic communities, our Native American communities, our urban communities. And that may not be around hunting and fishing. That may be around wildlife advocacy related to viewing or hiking and fishing and uh, many, many other ways. So I think that's one of our challenges for the future is to reach an audience that maybe didn't grow up hunting and fishing. And if you were to, I think, canvas the people of the state of Arizona, uh, th those of us that hunt and fish are certainly... Uh, a smaller percentage of the state than we used to be, and we've got to figure out how to introduce the urban populations to these great public lands and great fish and wildlife resources that we have in the state. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Brad, for that. And I, I guess I'd just go back to something that, Michael, you said a little while ago, which is, you know, we're a great organization to bring those groups together, the consumptive and the non-consumptive folks together. And I frankly think that that's what it's going to take going forward to continue to be successful and be able to conserve our wildlife and our wildlife habitat. To, to me, that's the only way forward. If it's one group without the other group, I think it's difficult, if not impossible. So I, I think that's where, what we got to keep doing. Yeah. <clears throat> I, you know, I say it all the time that if if we could get, uh, again, I, I don't like using consumptive and non-consumptive because mountain bikers, campers, uh, off-road vehicle users, they're all consumptive in a sense. You know, they're, they're having an impact impact on that ecosystem. But it is a good way to describe what we're talking about, hunters and anglers versus hikers, campers, bird watchers. Um, I, I do, I say it all the time that if, if we could all just get together on the 99% of what we agree on, and that's, that's healthy habitat, healthy wildlife, access to public lands and, and, and ignore that one part where you, you bring an animal home and feed it to your family, you know, we would have an unstoppable army. With well that, said. Brad, you, you mentioned people need to get involved, and I agree. Scott, how do they get involved with us? Well, certainly they can become a member or they can follow us. You know, Go to our website, azwildlife.org. Um, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, we send out an e-news monthly that gives an update on a few things. 
if you donate over $30 or if you become a member, which is also $30, um, we send you a, a glossy magazine once every quarter. That's really good. Um, there's some great updates in there. I guess we didn't say it before, but our board is structured so that we also have regional directors. So in all corners of the state, there's going to be an update that's specific to that region in Arizona. Yeah, those are excellent updates as well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say, you know, become a member or, or follow us or both. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. Well, gentlemen, what do we leave out? I think the only thing we left out is happy holidays. I mean, Merry Christmas to both of you and certainly any of the listeners. This may play a little after the holidays, but it's... It's that time of the year, and we've got a lot to be thankful for, both as an organization and certainly as individuals. Yeah, I guess I'd also say thanks, Michael, to you for kicking off this podcast because I think there's a, there's a need for getting some of the message out there, and, and we've all recognized that you got to meet people where they are. And so for those people that like to listen to podcasts, you know, I hope this becomes uh, you know, a mechanism uh, that they can get what they want, they can hear and learn and and uh, become more engaged in Arizona wildlife. Scott, you mean like those technological people like me that are, <laughs> you know, really into the... Yeah, I, I was thinking about you, but <laughs> maybe we'll just print something out and hand it to you. Yeah, well, you guys will just have to take my word for it. Podcasts are a thing now. People listen to them. Hopefully they listen to this one. He slammed you as well as me, so we're well, equal. I'm not exactly Well, anybody who was young. born in 1928 probably isn't going to listen to a podcast. But. Well... <laughs> Probably not. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and, and being here and telling us all about this great organization. I appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Michael. Thanks, right. Michael. Thanks, Bye, Brad. All right. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brad and Scott. I hope you learned a lot, and I, uh, I hope you got inspired to get involved and jump into the conservation arena. I hope everyone out there had a great holiday season, and I hope you continue to have a good new year. We'll be back in two weeks. Please be sure and tune in. And in the meantime, you can get a hold of me at podcast at azwildlife.org. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you don't like. Tell me what you think I can do better. Thanks all. Talk to you soon. <laughs>